The following podcast may not be suitable for all listeners. Listener discretion is advised. We are officially inside the holiday season. Everyone's dashing around for last-minute gifts, preparing meals, or watching holiday movies. Though some of you are here with me, listening to the creepy and unexplained. In this episode, we will learn about the Santa Claus serial killer, Bruce MacArthur. Bruce MacArthur was born on October 8, 1951, in Lindsay, Ontario, Canada. He was raised on a farm with his parents, sister, and a few foster children that his parents cared for. At times, Bruce's parents had as many as 10 foster children in their care. The MacArthur family was held in high esteem in their area. During his high school years, some would remember Bruce as wanting to be the teacher's pet. His mother was Irish Catholic and his father was Scottish Presbyterian. This often led to arguments within the household. Bruce would often side with his mother during these arguments. During high school, Bruce met his wife, Janice Campbell. The two graduated high school in 1970. Bruce went on to graduate with a general business program. And then at 23, he married Janice. Bruce worked for the department store chain Eaton's. He was a buyer's assistant in the downtown Toronto business. Not far from Bruce's workplace, were same-sex establishments. It is quite possible at this time, Bruce began wondering about his sexuality. Though, he went on to have two children with his wife. The couple would welcome home their daughter Melanie in 1981 and their son Todd in 1986. Bruce stayed busy with the family and within his church, and this prevented him from examining his homosexual feelings any further. By the 1990s, Bruce's parents had passed and he began exploring his sexual feelings towards men. And he would go on to have multiple sexual affairs. This is when Bruce came out to his wife. He told her he was having affairs with men, but they chose to remain living together. In 1993, Bruce lost his job and alongside his wife struggled with their finances. On top of these struggles were the legal struggles surrounding their teenage son, Todd. It seemed that Todd had a fetish He would make obscene phone calls to strange women he did not know. Todd MacArthur would go on to serve 14 months in prison. 
1997, Bruce and his wife separated, and he moved to Toronto. By 1999, they declared bankruptcy. During Bruce's time in Toronto, there was not a gay community in his area of Oshawa, so he began spending time in the LGBT-oriented areas of Church and Wellesley. He frequently visited the local bars there and eventually moved into an apartment on Don Mills Road. In time, Bruce entered a four-year relationship with another man. The relationship ended and Bruce's divorce was finalized. At this time, Bruce began visiting a psychiatrist and was prescribed Prozac. He stated he was having a hard time coping with the end of his marriage and the end of his first gay relationship. Bruce was also trying to move into the landscaping industry. Bruce was friendly to those in this area at the time. He would often see a local model, Mark. Mark Henderson would jog daily and wave, and Bruce would do the same. The two knew each other from the LGBTQ community. Though on October 31st, 2001, just a few weeks after Bruce's 50th birthday, he jogged towards Mark as he was unlocking the door at his building. Bruce started a conversation and Mark invited Bruce into his apartment to view his Halloween costume. The two entered the building, and as Mark unlocked his apartment door, he felt a whack on the back of his head. He later described thinking that the ceiling had fallen initially. Bruce threw punches as Mark dodged them. Bruce used a bar and broke two of Mark's fingers. He was able to dial 911 at approximately 12.39 p.m., Bruce continued to try and pull the phone line out of the wall. Mark described being laughed at by paramedics. They asked if he had invited him in for intimate time. Bruce turned himself into the Toronto police and explained his behavior away. He stated that he blacked out before the attack and it may have been due to the combination of his anti-seizure medication mixed with a muscle relaxant. He was sentenced to one year of house arrest and three years of probation. In addition, he was banned from Toronto's gay village, as well as spending time with gay prostitutes. Obviously, the ban from the gay community was almost unenforceable. He was also ordered to provide a DNA sample to be added to the database. And psychologist Dr. Marie-France Dion wrote a psychological report about Bruce at the request of his lawyer to determine if any possible mental health issues were present that may have led to the attack. The psychologist found no signs of any mental health problems she further reported that Bruce had very minimal risk for violence. 
During the 2000s, Bruce often landed seasonal jobs as Santa due to his white hair and beard. He also owned and operated his own landscaping business at this time. He hired assistants who were primarily young immigrant men. Clients noticed his assistants changed constantly and rarely stayed on for long. At the end of his work days, Bruce would head over to the gay village and stalk the area. Though he was banned, he wandered throughout the area anyway. Bruce had met Skandaraj in 1999, but the two didn't become involved until the early 2000s. Skanda was also an apprentice under Bruce in his landscaping business. Learning the trade, he would proudly show his friends a koi pond he'd built with Bruce. Skanda seemed happy in the relationship. Skanda was last seen on September 6, 2010, leaving the nightclub Zippers. He was reported missing 10 days later. He left his new French bulldog behind. He had saved money for months for this dog, and while he had no family in Canada, as he was a refugee from Sri Lanka, friends knew something was wrong when they realized he'd left the puppy alone. Abdul Faizi was a 42-year-old married man with two daughters. He truly lived a secret life. He often visited the village and socialized with other gay men. He worked at a printing company, and the last time he was seen, he was at Steamworks, a bathhouse in the village. December 29, 2010, he had a brief conversation with his wife and said he was with co-workers. He told her he would be home that evening. When he doesn't come home, his wife reports him missing. Several days later, his 2002 Nissan Sentra was found abandoned in Toronto in the area of St. Clair Avenue and Mount Pleasant Road. This wouldn't be too far from where Bruce stored his landscaping tools. His wife, Karima, learned of her husband's double life from police, leading her to frequent the area of the village in search of her husband. Karima fully believed her husband abandoned her and their children. She eventually filed for divorce and gained custody of their two children. His cell phone was disconnected shortly after Abdul was last heard from. Mahid Kaihan also lived a double life. According to bartenders in the village, Mahid had been active in the village since the mid-1990s. He lives with a partner who had also not come out to his family. Mahid's partner passes away at one point and Mahid pursues Bruce. They had met at a nightclub called the Black Eagle. Mahid was 58 and an Afghan immigrant. He was also employed for a short time by Bruce. He also had a sexual relationship with Bruce. Mahid disappeared around October 18, 2012 and was reported missing by his adult son. At this time in Toronto, the police department realizes there are three missing men from the gay village area. This prompted them to put together an investigation called Project Houston. 
hundreds of hours were put into this investigation from 2012 to 2014. But there were no suspects brought forward. Though Bruce was questioned during this investigation, it was noticed that Bruce frequented the same locations and at least two of the men worked for him. But nothing implicated him. Bruce admitted to knowing both men, but at this time was simply a witness in a missing person's case. By June 2014, the Parole Board of Canada expunges Bruce's 2003 assault conviction. Remember the attack on Mark Henderson? Remember the attack on Mark Henderson? That's the conviction that got expunged. But by this time, he'd already killed three men. 50-year-old Sarush Mahmoodi was the fourth victim. He was married with a stepchild and a refugee from Iran. His wife, Farina, told police he was up early for work daily, getting up as early as 4 a.m. on work days. On the morning of Saturday, August 12, 2015, he woke and left her son breakfast and then left the house. He was never seen again. I just want to point out here that this last murder before Sarush was committed in 2012 and no others until Sarush in 2015 and the task force disbanded in 2014. I believe that the killer Santa felt more at ease stalking his prey after the task force disbanded. Karushna Kumar saw asylum in Canada fleeing war-torn Sri Lanka in 2010. His family stated he called every day to check in, but since he was unable to obtain refugee status, he lived underground. Krishna's family was afraid to file a missing persons report as they were afraid he would be arrested and sent back. It is unclear when he disappeared since no one reported him missing. Many just thought he was in hiding as usual. Though, it is thought that he was murdered by Bruce in January of 2016. Though, with no clear ties to Bruce, it was never clear how the two came into contact. 47-year-old Dean Lissowick would be Bruce's fifth victim. Dean was a former drug user and former sex worker. All described as being sweet, but also mistrusting of people. He was quick to jump in if someone was being harmed or harassed. Friends were baffled by his disappearance. They knew he had a strong sense of his surroundings and was quite street savvy. Since Dean struggled with addiction and homelessness, he was never reported missing. No attempts to find him were made. Dean was last seen at the Scott Mission Shelter in Toronto in April of 2016. It is believed he was murdered sometime around April 21st, 2016. By June 2016, Bruce invites a man he's known for years to his van. He'd parked his van in a parking lot and his male friend climbed into the back. Once inside, Bruce asked him to lie down on a fur coat that had been laid out. Once lying down, Bruce began to strangle the man who was able to finally escape the van unharmed. The victim called 911 and made a full statement. But Bruce went to the police himself and gave a statement. And since his record of assault had been expunged, 
they found no reason to take any action. Bruce was released with no charges. By March of 2017, Bruce was on to his seventh victim, 44-year-old Salim Eason. He moved to Canada from Turkey. He was unhappy living as a gay man in Turkey. Salim had lived in Australia before moving to Canada in 2013. The move to Canada was for the purposes of marrying his boyfriend. Though Salim was described as smart and kind, he had his own dark struggles and at times struggled with substance abuse. Salim would disappear on Easter weekend in 2017. He was last seen alive on April 16, 2017. Bruce's final victim would be Andrew Kinsman. Andrew himself had a fascination with serial killers. He had movies, drawings, various writings of serial killers who targeted gay men or raped men. Friends thought Andrew may have even discussed serial killers with Bruce. 49-year-old Andrew was described as a friend who would make you dinner when life got too crazy. A warrior who fought cancer twice in one. Someone who would take the time to listen and conversate even if it overlapped with his own obligations. At the time of Andrew's disappearance, he was a building supervisor. On June 26, 2017, Andrew sent an email to the tenants of the building. The tenants responded around 3.38 p.m., but never heard anything further from Andrew. Surveillance caught Andrew getting into a red Dodge Caravan at 3.07 p.m. that day. By June 29th, a friend reported Andrew missing. Police would go on to search Andrew's apartment. Once inside, they found a calendar and on the date, June 26, 2017, the name Bruce was written and the time was 2 or 3 p.m. This would be the break the police needed. It prompted them to pull the surveillance footage from that day. They moved forward to identify this red van. And since there was no license plate captured, investigators go to a dealership with photos. And the van is identified as a 2004 Dodge Caravan 20th Anniversary Edition. Two features that were unique to this model were the chrome side trim and it did not have fog lights. This narrowed down their search, leading the authorities to Bruce MacArthur. When police finally tracked down the van, Bruce had left it with a wrecking yard. Police were able to seize the vehicle and send it to forensics. This is how they found Andrew Kinsman's DNA and blood in the vehicle. Police moved on to search Bruce's apartment, and they found a bracelet with the name Skanda on it. Further testing of the van and DNA found inside, they could not rule out that Skondo was not murdered in Bruce's van. Authorities now know Bruce is a killer. So where are the bodies? Well, do you remember Abdul Faizi? His car was found not far from a location where Bruce stored equipment and worked. The home at 53 Mallory Crescent was a gray two-story home with brown trim its garage facing closest to the sidewalk. The home was owned by Karen Frazier, a landscaping client of Bruce's. Bruce stored the majority of his equipment at this home as well. Authorities found body parts of eight men 
at this property all in potted plants and some in a ravine. They also found hair from the victims that had been stored at this property. It was discovered that Bruce enjoyed taking photos of his victims. He would pose them naked, unconscious, and dressed in a fur coat, sometimes a hat and a cigar. In Bruce's van, authorities would find his murder kit, a duffel bag that contained duct tape, surgical gloves, rope, zip ties, bungee cord, and syringes. Authorities determined the murder weapon in at least two of the murders was a metal bar with a rope attached. An iron collar, so to speak. All victims were sexually assaulted and died of ligature strangulation. It seemed that Bruce liked to email himself photos of the victims, and in some, the murder weapon is seen around the necks of the victims. Bruce organized the photos in folders with the victim's name. This is how it was determined there may have been a potential ninth victim. The ninth folder is titled John. Investigators had Bruce under surveillance and burst into his home on January 18, 2018. They found a man tied to MacArthur's bed, mouth taped shut. Though they were surveilling Bruce, they did not intend to burst in that day, but felt it necessary when he took this young man to his apartment. It was later determined that on the day Bruce killed Andrew Kinsman, he began searching for this victim, John, and downloaded his photos from John's social media profile. Later in court documents, it is said that the majority of the killings took place in Bruce's bedroom. The case never made it to trial, as Bruce MacArthur pleaded guilty to all eight first-degree murder charges. Bruce was sentenced to life imprisonment with no parole eligibility for 25 years. The judge stated the crimes were pure evil and stated Bruce showed no remorse. He would be allowed to apply for parole at 91 years old. Though, as the Toronto Sun noted, Bruce MacArthur is overweight and has type 2 diabetes. He is unlikely to live that long. I hope you enjoyed the creepy Christmas serial killer story. <laughs> Crazy coming from Canada. Um, don't forget to go visit our producer over at Eddie on the Go on YouTube and my wonderful um, creative muses, Nikki and Elaine over at Cocktails and Crime. And my new friend, uh, General Lee over at Subconscious Realms. He's not feeling so well these days, so go give him some love as well. Listen to his show. And from everyone here at Unexplained Realms, we wish you a happy holidays. If you're new, you can visit us at unexplainedrealms.com, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, Twitter, and TikTok. And don't forget to smash those like, subscribe, and follow buttons and don't forget to hit the show notifications button on Spotify so you can get reminders when we drop a new episode don't forget to click on our sponsors links when visiting unexplainedrealms.com 
with a variety of brands and products to choose from, and the most exclusive deals just for you.